Hello and welcome to the week 16 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Hope everyone is enjoying the holiday season, if not the Jets season. Only two games left. Sunday they're at home against Pittsburgh and then they finish it up on the road against the Buffalo Bills, the playoff-bound Buffalo Bills, by the way. So you have to figure the Jets will lose one of these two games, quite possibly both, and then it'll mean double-digit losses for four straight years. In the long, often lousy history of the Jets, that has never been done before. Not in the pre-Super Bowl, pre-Namath days, when they were struggling to find an identity, Not in the post-Super Bowl hangover years, which amounted to the entire decade of the 1970s. And not even in the dark ages of Coslett, Carroll, and Cotite. Not ever uh, have they done it. But on Sunday, they could do it for uh, double-digit losses for four straight years. And I don't mean to start off the show on on a downer, but you know me. I'll give it to you straight. And this is the sobering reality. But we have a great show uh, I think you're especially going to like the fourth quarter. I'm going to be going through my all-decade Jets team, handing out some Jets-related awards for the end of the decade. But uh, I want to start in on the present day right now, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on last Thursday's loss to Baltimore, 42-21. It's a little old, and it was frankly very predictable. The Jets couldn't handle Lamar Jackson on a short week. And to be quite honest, I don't think they could have stopped Lamar Jackson if they had a month to prepare for that game. He actually, or, or the the Ravens as a team, had four runs of 20 yards or longer. That is the same number of 20 or longer runs the Jets allowed in the first 13 games. So that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. The Jets couldn't tackle in the game. They couldn't cover. In fact, on, on Jackson's throws... of his attempts were to wide-open receivers, according to our next-gen stats. So they couldn't even get close to his receivers. They couldn't even get close to Jackson. He averaged 10.8 yards per carry. And and dig this stat. He averaged 9.6 yards per run before a defender got within one yard of him. So think about that for a second. And that, that pretty much sums up what happened in Baltimore last Thursday night. The Jets' lack of speed was so apparent on defense, especially not having Jamal Adams and Quinn and Williams, and it really showed up during the game. Now, there was a positive. Believe it or not, I'm going to throw out a positive here. I thought they had a decent running game against a very good defensive front. Le'Veon Bell averaged 2.4 yards per carry before contact, which is a good number. And he finished the game with a season-high 87 yards. And I think you've seen a shift in the running game the last couple of weeks. I think Adam Gase is calling more downhill running plays instead of the outside zone. And Bell was hitting the hole quicker than he usually does. And so that that was encouraging. You wonder why it took this long to make that adjustment. But I think you're seeing that adjustment now. And uh, it, Bell will be a big story on Sunday because he's facing his old team, the Steelers. This one's personal for him. Of course, you know the story. He sat out last season due to that contract dispute, so it'll be an emotional game. Probably for the Steelers, too. Perhaps some feelings of betrayal. You never know. And it's going to be a a Steeler crowd, even though the game's at MetLife. You know how Steeler fans travel. 
Jets fans will probably be selling off their tickets. And so this, the Steelers are, is going to be filled with black and gold and terrible towels at MetLife on Sunday, which is not a great look for the Jets, but it'll be an emotional game for Le'Veon Bell. But let's push putting the games aside for a second. Let's just take a wider view of what's going on here. And I think one of the most compelling questions facing the team right now is Robbie Anderson's future. He'll be a free agent after the season. You know, how much is he worth? How much will they willing to pay for him? We know they were dangling him in trade talks at the deadline in late October. Now I think they really want to sign him. You know, from what Adam Gase has said, from what I'm hearing, I think they really want to sign Robbie. But what's the right price? Uh, you look at the comps. I think he's going to get north of 11 million a year. From what I understand, he's looking for Allen Robinson money, which is about 14 million a year. That's what Robinson got last year from the Bears. If you look at their numbers through four years, the numbers are very close in terms of production. He, and believe it or not, he also compares somewhat favorably to Sammy Watkins, who got 16 million a year from the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think the Jets are going to go that high. I think he'll come in probably 11, 12 million a year, which is a lot of money for, for a Robbie Anderson who's never had a thousand yards, but that's the going rate. Let's look at some of the pros with Robbie. You know, he's having a strong finish. He seems more comfortable in Adam Gase's offense. He'll be only 27 years old next year. He's a homegrown player. You want to keep those. And he seems to be expanding his game. Now, the cons for re-signing him, he is not a quote-unquote number one receiver. He's had a history of off-the-field issues, although he's never been suspended. And his only conviction was really just a misdemeanor. Uh, but still, a history of erratic behavior. How will he handle all this money? Will he be reliable? You know, he also has a history of sleepwalking through the first two months of the season, and he gets hot late, never been a factor in the red zone. So these are all things that Joe Douglas must consider when, you know, deciding whether to pay up for Robbie Anderson. And another factor you have to consider is it's a free, it's a uh, weak free agent market. The only really good receiver who will be a free agent is Dallas Cowboys receiver Amari Cooper. So you have to consider that as well. It's a good draft. Todd McShay, our ESPN draft analyst, has six receivers in his top 20 prospects. So a strong draft for receivers, but not strong free agency. If you lose Robbie, you have to ask yourself, how do you, you know, how do you replace a guy like that? My gut feeling says, I think they'll get something done. I didn't always feel that way, but now I think they will. Um, something in the neighborhood of three years, 39 million with about 20 guaranteed at signing. That, that would be my gut feeling now. I think it's moving in that direction. That is the end of the first quarter. And welcome back. Our special guest this week is former Jets coach, current ESPN analyst, Rex Ryan. Rex, thanks for being on the program today. Oh, my pleasure, Rich. So, Rex, we have an end-of-decade theme show here for the obvious reason. You know, we're winding down the calendar year. And so we put together an all-decade team, and a bunch of the Jet players are guys that you coached. And as Jet fans will painfully are aware that the last time the team was any good was when you were the coach. So I'm just, can you believe a decade has passed? So I mean, since you were, since that uh, 2010 season was such a great year. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, man, time flies by. There's, there's no doubt about it. And yeah, it does. It, it's crazy. Um, you know, when you said that, I'm like, my gosh, 
It's already been that long, but I guess so. <laughs> you know, they're playing Pittsburgh on Sunday, and the last time the Jets played a significant football game, as you know, was against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh for the 2010 AFC Championship game. And uh, I'm, I know, I know that game didn't go the way you wanted, but at least the Jets were. You know, you were so close to the Super Bowl. And when you look back on that day, what are what are some of the memories that flash in your mind? Yeah, well, that that particular day was just, I mean, brutal, man. Like, we just got off to such a bad start. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we came on, you know, meeting in in the locker room, it's like, hey, guys, you know what? We can still win this thing. As crazy as it sounds, we are that kind of team that can actually win this game. And, And we did. We came out with a different fight about us, like, I mean, we had guys crying at the in, in at halftime. Wow! Knowing that that we were not playing as good as we were capable of playing, and then we laid it all out there. And it's unfortunate, but our defense we couldn't get off the field at the end of the game. And you know, we never gave up any points in that second half. But that was the one that killed us. We could not. You know, uh, Roethlisberger ran for a couple first downs, and it, we just couldn't get off the field because if we had. I don't think Pittsburgh could have stopped us at the end. So it's it's one of those things, man. I, I you know, you 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 know, go back and you think about it. And man, it's so disappointing that you know. And and quite honestly, we had played so well the two previous weeks, right. winning road games against Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Uh, those, those that was no easy task, but. You know, it just, God, I hate, I, I hate coming up short. Yeah, you guys scored 19 unanswered points in the second half. And if it weren't for a play or two, I, I think back to that goal line sequence where you guys had, had some shots at the goal line. I mean, if someone scores there, it's a totally different game. I mean, it, it's a play or two here or there, and it could have been different. Yeah, that's right. And I, I know it's a painful memory for Jet fans, but I also think, they relish that time because that time the Jets were the story in town and, you know, four playoff wins in two years. I think Jets fans would give anything to go back in time and relive that. In your opinion, why has it been so long? Like what, what's been going on here with this franchise that they haven't been able to recapture those moments? Well, I think two huge mistakes were. You know, firing me was one mistake, but I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think part of it was when they had all that money, they were saving all that money with Idzik and all those type of moves. And then to go out, and they did the same thing this year, go out and get older players trying to make that run. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's like, no, that's not what you do. You want to sit back and and build with younger players. If you're going to go the free agent route, which is I agree with, mm-hmm. but look what the, the Packers did. We say, you know, the Jet fans are sitting. I say we, but you know, we say we don't have edge pass rushers. Well, there were two of them. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we go out and get that Ladarius Smith and and you know the Smith brothers? I mean, Preston Smith. Right. Those are two young players in their prime. But the same mistakes. We made the same mistakes that they did when Todd Bowles was the coach. You know, went for broke and then came up empty. And, and unfortunately, that, that's what the team looks like right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're referring to Le'Veon Bell. They spent a fortune on him. You know, he hasn't been effective. And, of course, C.J. Mosley was really out of his hands. He's been injured the whole year. Right. What do you think of Bell? I mean, I know you've, you've coached against him, and, and I'm sure you've watched him a ton. Do you think he's the same guy? 
Look, I, all I know is I got my butt kicked by Le'Veon Bell. He was the only guy. It snowed like crazy in Buffalo. He's the only guy that wasn't slipping. He had over 200 yards against me, and that doesn't happen very, uh, very often. But he was a he was a man child. Look, I, I think I don't know what his injury situation is, but I'd be shocked if he doesn't have some kind of arthritic knee or something. But look, the kid, he has been great. And, and when I say that is like in the locker room, all those, you know, I, the, the things that people worried about him, he's been phenomenal that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're not giving him the football. You know, maybe the injury has something to do with it. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I thought anytime you're given a running back, especially a guy with that kind of, um, you know, history, he, you know, he, he stayed out of away from his team, did not want to take the uh, – you know, signed with him that, that one year. And I, right. I kind of question why. Uh, but I think it was a risky deal. They wanted to make a splash. I think the, the GM that was there was trying to win right now. And, you know, it ended up costing him anyway. It cost him his job. Right. He overpaid for a running back. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody saw it. But at the same time, we were excited to see Le'Veon uh, play. And, 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 look, it's not his fault. They've got other issues as well. Yeah, well, that was my next question. It's like, how do you how do you dig yourself out of this situation? They're gonna they're gonna have a high draft pick again. They'll have a lot of money in free agency. Um, how do they how do they get this right? Well, I think you got to get back to and, and and Joe Douglas will do a good job. Look, he comes from that Baltimore Raven uh, family, and I think nobody did it better than Ozzie Newsom and company. Right. You know, we would rank the board a certain way, and unless there was, you know. Um, I mean, you involve the coaches, you involve everybody, and it's truly a team effort. It's not, he's not going to go out and, well, I'm just going to take a guy that I want. No, he's going to let the process work, and I think that's, uh, I've been around it. Hell, I was with uh, Baltimore for 10 years. Right. So I think it's got a chance to work. I think it'll work well. It's just, hey, look, there's there's some holes, obviously, uh, but you fill those holes in free agency, and and you don't go out, you don't, you know, just jump at, hey, here's the best offensive tackle available, unless the, the the board warrants it. And I think Joe will stick to the board, take the best player, and that's probably how you build your team for the future um, and build it for the present. You, you take every avenue necessary, whether that's free agency, draft, whatever, and coaching, by the way. Yeah, and uh, and Joe spent 15 years in that Ravens organization, and like you said, they are rock solid, and they they know how to do it the right way. And uh, you just brought me into my second question. You mentioned the coaching. What kind of job do you think Adam Gase has done this year? I give him an F, uh, and I give him an F because I don't see any fight. So here, here's an F for for fight. It's really a lack of fight. I don't like the, what they've done with that team. I hated the benching of Jamal Adams, the only guy that's the, the biggest competitor you got in your team. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's an F. And the results are that team was built to win right now, and you haven't come close. Do you? How much? And I'm, I think I know your answer here, but how much of a factor do you factor into the injuries? I mean, they have had a bunch of injuries. Yeah, big deal. Them and everybody else. Right. I, I knew. I knew you were going to say that. I yep. knew you were going to say that. I mean, because the the great team. And look at the Steelers. I mean, they were down to their third string quarterback. And I, granted, they lost on Sunday night, but they're still in the playoff race with their third string quarterback. Some teams can do it, and and the Jets just they didn't figure out a way this year. Well, that's it. And, and look, at least they, their defense has been competitive, which is good. But 
I, I just, I, I mean, look, you got everything was around this quarterback, and I haven't seen a single improvement from him. And uh, that's that's another reason I give him an F. The injuries are part of it, and and look. Nobody ever makes excuses. I, they, nobody ever felt sorry for me, and I dang sure don't feel sorry for this guy. It's part of it. Everybody plays in this league. It's a hundred percent injury rate in this league, and you gotta you gotta be able to to adjust. And I haven't seen any adjustments from this thing. What is it about Darnold that you see or don't see that that concerns you a little bit? Well, it's all about fundamentals. And look, this guy's going to be a great quarterback. He should be a terrific quarterback. Mm-hmm. All right, he has all the talent that you that you look for. And let and let's face it, he's twenty two years old. Yeah, right. He's twenty two. Right. So it's like getting the. I mean, this is like getting a a, a young rookie. Mm-hmm. Even even this year when he comes in there, this kid's going to hit. It's just a matter of time. And I think what's overlooked is. Hire a head coach, a real head coach, a guy that can motivate men and get his team to play with some passion, and and that's what it is. You coach all 53. Get a position coach that works on fundamentals, Mm -hmm. and that, to me, is the key. Mm -hmm. Your head coach isn't going to be the, uh, you know, isn't about coaching one man. Make sure you get the right guy coaching quarterbacks and work on the fundamentals. That's all this kid needs to improve on. Right. When he gets it, he's got great arm talent. He's athletic. He's got size. He's got poise. And I think he's got a little charisma to him. So, to me, I think he's – I mean, that's a guy you build your franchise around. I think let's get him somebody that can really coach the fundamentals. And I, and I think uh, he'll have a great opportunity to be, be a terrific quarterback. I think one you make a good point. One, the Jets were so obsessed with finding like a quote unquote offensive guru in the off season that, and they're not the only team that's done this. That sometimes you you look somewhere in one direction and you forget the head coach is supposed to be the leader of the entire team, not just one position. And so maybe the Jets got a little preoccupied with finding a quote unquote quarterback whisperer, and they forgot about some of the other things that are important to the position. Yeah, I think so. And the other deal is, you know, sometimes it's a, you know, there's right fits and there's other fits for where you are. Mm-hmm. Like Adam Gase and nothing about it, you know, personally. But that, I mean, I don't think the fan base is enamored with Adam Gase, to be honest with you. I think they, this is a, a tough deal. You're not going to BS this fan base and they're not having it. I mean, the way I look at it right now, everybody, they want them fired right now. Like that. Yeah. That, that's that's uh, pretty telling. Um, it's not this market's not for everybody. But go out find the right guy to to do it eventually. You know when they do it. If it's Adam Gase, he's got a long way to come, and he's got to embrace the fact you're with the New York Jets, and you got to embrace that. Um, you know, let, let's pull the hat up a little bit. You know, I hate when he covers his eyes. You ain't hiding from nobody. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Uh, it, it's one of my pet peeves about him. You know, is, is the guy an X and O guy? I'm sure he is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, bringing in the fun, I cannot, you, you know, you sit back and look, the Johnsons made a decision to bring him in. Rich, you're right. They did it to bring, to develop this quarterback. They're not stupid. They understand that their franchise is the quarterback. Mm-hmm. However, the head coach is the leader of the team. He's the guy out in front with this fan base. And, you know, but surround them with the other, the other coaches, and I think that's that might be more important than just hey, this is an offensive guy and uh, and what have you. Yeah, I based on my Twitter mentions, 
I think nine out of ten Jet fans want him fired now, and I bet you if you pull Jet fans, they would take you back in a second, in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, that's what I love about that fan base, and you know what? I agree with them, but again, it, you know, that won't happen because they'll be convinced to hire some other, you know, guru. And, you know, that offensive guru thing is so overrated. And, you know, you better have – look, the one thing I did, I actually had a hell of a coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of it. When when I came in, you know, look, Bill Callahan was here. So was Mike Westoff. Well, I kept both of them, mm-hmm. you know, where a lot of guys, I'm going to bring my own guy. Why? If you got great guys in place, look, Greg Williams, let's say they make a change. Well, keep Greg Williams. He's an excellent coach. But what, when I, I mean, it's just sometimes you, you know, it, it just, there, there's way more involved in this in the head coach than just saying, I'm going to grab an offensive guy. Yeah. Man, you did have a great staff. I mean, Bill Callahan is like a Hall of Fame offensive line coach, and Westy is like a Hall of Fame special teams coach. And, and, uh, you know, hey, even Brian Schottenheimer did a good job for you. I mean, I know the fans got on him a little bit, but, you know, he coached uh, Mark, you know, a very young quarterback through six playoff games. So, you know. And Matt Cavanaugh was there as as an excellent coach, won a Super Bowl as a coordinator. Mike Pettin. Dennis Thurman. We had we had some really good coaches. Oh, and by the way, Anthony Lynn wasn't all bad either. So uh, we, we forgot. I think, an amazing coach, a coaching staff. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think that's the best thing I did. I hired a hell of a staff, and then we also from from the uh, from the opening press conference, the fan base knew it was going to be different, and I think that's important. And understand that. Look. We were demanding as hell on our players, and maybe people don't realize that, but I think that's part of it too. And also, we embraced it. We wanted to be different. Mm-hmm. We wanted to, to bludgeon you and, and things. It, it wasn't about us, you know, like, you know, throwing the, the ball all over the place. And it, it was about wins and, and, and trying to be more physical. We had a, we had an identity. We were going to be more physical than, than the team we played. Yeah. And for the most part, that worked out. And, and our team had plenty of fight all the way in the end. I think that's what the fans uh, embraced about us. Well, you definitely established a culture. I mean, because you knew what the Jets were about. Now, everybody might not have agreed with that, and it probably pissed off a lot of opposing teams and fan bases, but there was a culture. I mean, and it was a, a physical, you know, ground and pound. I think you that was one of your yeah. favorite uh, expressions, and the defense was number one in every category that one year, and so you knew what you were going to get from the Jets. I mean, this this current Jet team, I don't know if they have an identity yet. I don't think they've established one. Yeah, I don't think they have right now. Hopefully in the near future they will. And and you're looking at what the Baltimore Ravens are, and we mentioned Joe Douglas. Well, nobody runs the ball more than they do, mm-hmm. and, and they're playing great defense. Imagine that. That formula still works. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be – it doesn't have to look like everybody else in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, just match your personnel and, and, uh, and go from there. Find ways to win and – and hopefully it's just around the corner. Yeah, you know, I, 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 that's that's what all Jet fans, including myself, hope for. Right. 
and uh, I think they're hoping. So it'll be an interesting off season, and and we'll see what happens. And who knows? Maybe Joe Douglas can can do some things right and get this thing pointed in the right direction. Because I think Jet fans are are feeling pretty down right now. Like I said earlier, nine straight years out of the playoffs. It's been a tough decade for the Jets. But we're talking to the guy who brought them the last playoff appearance. So Rex. Can't thank you enough enough for coming on the podcast this week. You're the best. I always appreciate it. I appreciate it, Rich. Thank you. And welcome. It's Twitter mailbag time. I got a bunch of great questions here. I always appreciate the great response on Twitter when I post the question. And uh, let's start it off with at John Bound 73. Why would the Jets try to trade Bell and Adams? When the roster is not talented to begin with. Okay, fair question, but I'll answer it this way. Like, why would Arizona, the Arizona Diamondbacks trade Zach Granke to Houston? You know, great pitcher, right? Well, there's other factors that go into it. You know, there's economics, the main reason. Jamal Adams is going to be looking to be the highest paid safety in the league. Do the Jets want to invest that much in a safety position? It's not really a premium position. With Le'Veon Bell, he's going to be making $13 million next year. He is not a $13 million running back, and I think the Jets have to come to grips with that. So that's why you would look to trade guys like that. You would do it if you can parlay them into draft capital and reinvest that capital in areas of of need. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, and that's why a team like the Jets would consider trading a two two pretty good players. Next question from at True Nation Six. Got got kind of a snarky question here from True Nation Six. But uh, why do you Jets reporters bash the team you cover in every single tweet? Be a reporter. Do your job. Sound like Bill Belichick there with the "do your job" reference? But you know what? This is not accurate because I do not bash the Jets in every single tweet, nor do the other Jet repeat beat reporters. But look. A lot of the tweets and reporting is negative because the team is not having a good year. They're five and nine right now, and it's tough to be flowing with positivity when the team is playing so poorly. So yes, we are doing our jobs. We are reporters. Next question comes from at Weird Beard Belly. Now, let me correct myself. At Weird Beard Baldy. Sorry about that, Baldy. Has the schedule helped Greg Williams look better than he is? While I get the uh, I get the numbers look great with the injuries he's dealt with, it seems like the competent quarterbacks and offenses have exposed him on defense. And uh, yeah, there is a lot of truth to that. The Jets have not played a lot of strong offenses. In fact, if you look at it, you could really say they've only faced two or three elite quarterbacks. I'm saying Tom Brady. If you want to consider Dak Prescott elite, the Jets actually played well against him. And Lamar Jackson has to be considered an elite player right now. And the Jets clearly did not fare well against him. So, yes, I do think the Jets' defensive numbers are inflated by the fact that they have not faced a lot of dynamic players on offense. I agree with that. Next question comes from at Pretzel by BY. Is there a top flight receiver that is attainable this offseason. Well, I mentioned it at the top of the show, Amari Cooper, Dallas. However, I seriously doubt whether he will get to the free agent market. I think they'll either tag him or sign him long term. Next one from at CJ Santorelli. How is how is, is similar the hysteria around Gay, Adam Gase now 
compared to when fans chased Pete Carroll out of town after one season. Well, CJ, I think it's completely different. It's apples and oranges. Back in 94, the fans didn't chase Pete Carroll out of town. Only one person chased Pete Carroll out of town, and that was the owner, Leon Hess, who I believe would have kept Pete for a second season if Rich Kotite hadn't been fired by the Philadelphia Eagles for some strange, odd, ridiculous reason that I will never understand. Leon Hess just had a fascination with Rich Kotite, and he hired him as soon as the guy was fired in Philly, and that meant the end of Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll actually was doing a good job. They were 6-5 and five at one point, and then everything fell apart at the end. So the fans, there was not the same hysteria as there is now surrounding Gase. Not even close. Next question. I really like this question. It comes from at Hard Knocks underscore Jets. Rich, I'm going to put down the torch in Pittsburgh for a moment. What do you think Adam Gase needs to do to turn this team around in 2020 to be consistent winners? Good question, because look, we know Adam Gase is coming back, so... What does he have to do to improve himself, make this team better? Well, let me just tick off a few reasons here. Number one, it'll be the second year in his system. So I think just organically, you're going to see improvement from players such as Sam Darnold, just because they'll be familiar with the system. Number two, he has to be more flexible within the system. And I think we're seeing an example of that now. I don't think their running game was suited to Le'Veon Bell earlier in the year. You've seen him switch to more of a downhill north-south running style in recent weeks, and I think that's helped. He has to learn to be more flexible. Another reason, I think he's got to do a better job of playing to Sam Darnold's strengths. Sam is better when he's on the move, when he's outside the pocket. I think for some reason, Adam has been reluctant to put a lot of that in their offense, those bootlegs. I think they need to do more of that. So that's a way he could get better. And also, he's got to make better adjustments. This has really showed up in recent weeks. The Jets have been getting beat in the third quarter of games. And when that happens, that tells me that they're not making the right adjustments. They're being outcoached at halftime into the second half. He has to get better at that. And uh, so those are four reasons right there and ways Adam Gase can be. Uh, let me add one more, actually. I think he has to do a better job of fostering a one-team culture. I think that it's too much of an offense-defense split right now. I think he has to be more of a CEO type and embrace the entire team, not just the offense. And our next question is from at Shush. Uh, this is going to have to spell this one because I can't pronounce it. It's S-H-H-W-A-G-A-H. You said Sam Stock was down based on two turnovers against Baltimore. It feels like we saw two different games. One turnover was due to a blindside hit on a whiff block, and one was a bad pass. Outside of that, most of us saw a gritty effort peppered with bad play calling, awful penalties, drops, and wide receiver miscues. And you are right. I did have Sam listed as a, a down stock coming off that game. That was just that game. That is not a big-picture representation of how I feel about Sam Darnold. I think all of you know that I'm very high on his future. I just thought those two turnovers they were, were critical to the Jets. They also failed on another scoring opportunity. And to be quite honest, I was basing that uh, post-game analysis on down stock, quote-unquote, a lot on what Sam said himself after the game. His self-evaluation was extremely harsh. 
And I think I was basing a lot of it on just on how Sam felt about his own performance. So that's why I had him down. Uh, it was just really based on a couple of missed scoring opportunities in that particular game. And next one from at Big N- Niffy Sizzle Tizzle. Hey, Rich, is there any chance that Christopher Johnson changes his mind and moves on from Adam Gase after the season? Uh, big, I do not see that happening. I think there's about a 5% chance of that happening. Even if they lose their last two games, they'll be 5-11, and 11, which is awful, but at least they can say, hey, we won more games than the previous year, which to me is really a hollow statement, but they could try to rationalize it that way. He's not going anywhere, folks, unless something really outside the box happens in the next two weeks. And I'm talking like a player mutiny or some sort of falling out with Darnold or player. Not That's not going to happen. And that would be the only reason why they would dismiss him after one season. And the last question comes from at Darth Zenos. Sam Darnold is one of the calmest quarterbacks we've ever had on the Jets, but he lost his cool with Gase last Thursday. If Gase has lost Darnold's support, do the Johnsons retain him? Let me, that's a good question because I want to comment on that incident. They had, they exchanged words on the sideline. I wouldn't call it a heated exchange. There was obvious frustration from both men. Sam Darnold usually doesn't show his frustration, but his body language in that moment screamed frustration at that particular time late in the game. I think it was an isolated incident. I do not think their relationship is cracking. I think it was two guys just frustrated, and it's okay to show frustration. It's okay to show that. I don't think Sam's support in in Adam Gase is wavering. So to answer to your question, I think it's a moot question because his he still supports the coach. If for some reason he didn't, then yes, there could lead to a, a you know a situation where they would reexamine Gase's uh, you know employment. But I do not see that happening. I think he still backs him. That's the end of the third quarter. And welcome to the fourth quarter. I'm excited about it this week because it's time for the all-decade team. Yeah, believe it or not, we are at the end of this decade. So let's uh, everyone else is doing their all-decade team, so why not us? And here's my Jet all-decade team, and then I'm going to give out some some special awards, uh, all-decade-type honors. Not a good decade for the Jets, obviously. 2010, they were so close to a Super Bowl. They haven't even come close since, but without further ado, my all-decade team, quarterback Mark Sanchez, running back Chris Ivory, the receivers Brandon Marshall, Santonio Holmes, and Eric Decker, and my tight end is Dustin Keller. My offensive line from left to right, Ferguson, Carpenter, Mangold, Moore, and Giacomini. On defense, my defensive line, Wilkerson, Harrison, Richardson, Leonard Williams. My linebackers, are Harris Pace and Demario Davis, and my corners, Revis and Cromartie, my safeties, Adams and Jim Leonard. My kicker is Nick Folk. My punter is Locke Edwards. My kick returner is the late Joe McKnight. And my coach, really there's only one coach who gets that honor, and that's Rex Ryan, the last coach to take the Jets to the playoffs. So there's my team. You could disagree. That's great because that's part of sports talk. We always love to disagree. But here are my awards. I'm giving out a a few special awards on this, all geared towards the decade, 2010 to 2019. The best individual offensive season, Brandon Marshall, 2015. He set team records with 109 catches, 1,502 
receiving yards. It's not even close. Brandon Marshall, my best individual defensive season goes to Darrell Revis. 2011, he was all pro. He had four picks. He had that 100-yard interception against Miami, which ironically, the player he was covering on that play was Brandon Marshall. Actually, Revis's best season was 2009, but this is for this decade, so it's 2011 Revis. Uh, the best, uh, let's go with the worst decision by ownership. And to me, that was hiring a search firm to conduct their GM search in 2013, and the result was John Idzik, which was a terrible decision. Uh, just a bad call all around by the Johnson family. My best decision by ownership, uh, I don't have one right now. We're still waiting on that. <laughs> we didn't get one this decade. Uh, the best trade, the best player trade for the decade, Brandon Marshall in 2015, good trade by Mike McCagnan picking him up. And, uh, you know, look, the guy had a, a terrific year. The worst trade for the Jets this decade, a player trade, and to me it's a no-brainer. It's the Tim Tebow trade in 2012. They gave up a fourth-round pick for a guy who basically turned out to be the personal protector on the punt team. They never figured out how to use Tebow, and it was just a waste, and it created an enormous distraction for the team throughout the entire season. My best draft pick of the decade, again, not a lot of strong candidates here, but I'm going to go with Mo Wilkerson in 2011. He was the 30th pick, and he ended up having a good career with the Jets. Now, we all know it didn't end well, but he was a good player for several years. He made a Pro Bowl, so I'm going with Mo Wilkerson, first-round pick out of Temple. The worst draft pick, uh, well, look. It's got to be Christian Hackenberg in 2016. <laughs> the guy was a second-round pick out of Penn State. He did not play a game. He did not play a single football game for the New York Jets. So it's pretty hard to say that there was another pick that was worse than that. And, you know, I, I heard this, you know, after the fact. But, you know, when they picked him, Chan Gailey, their offensive coordinator, in a private moment with Todd Bowles, said, Coach, he goes, this is all going to get us fired someday. That's the way it was told to me after the fact, and it turned out to be true. Now, the best win of the decade, obviously a no-brainer, the 2010 divisional win over the Patriots in Foxborough, the best Jets win next to Super Bowl three, without a doubt. Such a great emotional win for the Jets that vaulted them into the AFC Championship game, which brings me into my next category, the worst loss of the decade. Yeah, it was that game against Pittsburgh and the championship. The Jets were just, they came in with such momentum. I honestly thought they were going to win that game, but they fell behind 24 nothing. made a run at the end, but they fall short 24-19, a devastating loss. They have not been close since. The most embarrassing moment, uh, look, we have to go with the butt fumble. I think that speaks for itself. But a close second, I think, is Santonio Holmes getting thrown out of the huddle by his own teammates in the 2011 finale at Miami. That was pretty embarrassing, but you can't top the butt fumble. Uh, the most dysfunctional locker room of the decade, 2011. I mean, you had, that was rough. I mean, you had fractures all over the place. You had Santonio Holmes and Plexico Burris doing their thing. Mark Sanchez once was trying to run an offensive meeting and 
you know, Holmes were goofing off in the back of the room. You know, the Holmes-Sanchez split just really hurt the entire team that season. Even at the end of the year, Rex Ryan admitted that uh, he did a poor job of managing that locker room. And number two, really, uh, night in 2016, the Brandon Marshall-Sheldon Richardson feud was so profound that players said it divided the entire team. So those would be the most dysfunctional locker rooms. The most surreal news story of the decade, 2015, August, Geno Smith punched out by his own teammate, I.K. Enampali, who will live in infamy for that very moment, punches out Geno Smith over some money that he apparently owed Geno. And or Gino owed him rather, and he he broke Gino's jaw. That was the end of Gino, and in came Ryan Fitzpatrick. Still to this day, the most surreal story I've ever covered with the Jets. The most the most memorable fake moment, fake moment of the decade. When remember when they beat Miami at the 2013 finale, the Jets finished eight and eight. It was a really good accomplishment considering what that team had on, on its roster. John Itzik in the locker room screaming to the players, you know, saying that Rex Ryan would remain as coach. This is our coach, he screamed. This is our coach. The place was going nuts. There was so much applause. And uh, as it turned out, John Itzik and Rex Ryan had a very, very bitter divorce. They ended up both getting fired. Fake moment of the decade. Now, uh... Let's get to the big ones, the big hardware here, the offensive player of the decade. I'm going with, he has five Pro Bowls. He made one All-Pro team. He was the rock on the offensive line for many years. Nick Mangold, the center, is my offensive Jets player of the decade. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The defensive player of the decade, he made three Pro Bowls in the decade. He made two All-Pro teams. He will go down as one of the best Jets ever, and he will be in Canton someday. It is Darrell Rebus, the defensive player of the decade. And I dare anyone to argue with me about that. Coach of the decade? Really, there's only one option. I mean, and it ain't Todd Bowles. We know that. And it's not going to be Adam Gase. It's going to be Rex Ryan, the coach of the decade. Now, he did have a losing record. He was 46 and 50, but he did go four and two in the playoffs. The Jets have not been the same for whatever reason since Rex Ryan left. So Rex Ryan is our Jets coach of the decade. And that's the end of this week's show. I hope you like those awards. Like I said, it's been a rough decade for the Jets. You know, nine straight years out of the playoffs is really, really tough. And I, I really feel for you fans. But thanks for listening in to this week's edition of Flight Deck. Thanks to my producer, Jeff Scopin. And hang with us for another week. We got the finale next week, and I'll be giving out my end-of-season awards and looking forward to the off-season. Thanks for popping by again. And just remember, when in doubt, Don't punt, go for it.